Hi, I'm Chris Whiteout. Welcome to Living It, the podcast where we join experts in the experience of being human. Be bold. Say yes to adventure. Say yes to living it. All right, this is Chris Whiteout. Welcome to Living It. Today, I'm with Darren Ralves. Darren was three-time Olympian in alpine skiing, one-time Olympian in freestyle skiing. We will get to that because that seems like a huge departure. Winner of the Hanukkah, winner of numerous World Cups. I want to go back just a little bit before before we, we really get into the nuts and bolts of stuff. When did, when did you get fast? When did you know you were fast? Uh, you know, Chris, it just uh, started just making laps here in Tahoe when I was younger, just basically raced my friends down the mountain. And, and uh, my parents put me on a ski team up here just to like have that same sort of like fun with someone else besides mom and dad. And it just got to be like, back then it was like, who can get down the mountain faster? You know, who can go over the most terrain, you know, and link up some like fun lines and jumps and all that. I remember uh, a buddy of mine, Salty, he and I on a powder day kept jumping off the chair. So we can hit this one like cliff, you know, at the, at the bottom. And how old are you at this point? This is probably like 10 years old. Okay. And Liptop's like, how you guys make it around so quickly? You know, like every lap here, we're like, oh, we're just straight lining, you know, we're just going fast. Like, mm, seems a little quick, you know, your turnaround. And uh, we're like, okay, we still jumped off the chair, but we hung out and waited because we didn't want to ski anything else. We just want to hit this one, one, uh, one clip. But um, it was just, I don't know, from an early age, you know, I got into, I was, I was always competitive uh you know with jet skiing did some jet ski racing soccer and all that and and um but skiing really just took a hold of me just because the 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 thrill being outside and just like the variety and just what you could do on skis you know i'm still learning these days and and uh it's 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 just so much fun but i just uh i really kind of like go with that motto of like find out what you're made of make it happen that's kind of what i try to live you know lived by my whole entire life so you didn't jump into the racing part immediately i mean it sounds like it was big mountain the whole the mountain was your teacher in a lot of ways right you were just doing whatever you could for fun but when when did the racing stuff happen and i'd imagine it wasn't just racing it was racing and having all the other fun you can on the mountain but when did the racing start sure uh well i mean right off the bat like when i was really young I did some nascar races you know, like my grandparents, my parents would just put us in there. We did some family races and all that. My sister raced as well. And then you kind of like, oh, get on like a ski team and get that bug of like trying to go fast a little bit and some gates. And and then uh, so about like 12 years old is when I really started kind of, I'd say every weekend, probably had a race, you know, through the wintertime. And then 13 kind of was like that next step. And then I kind of like really got committed um, to the whole racing path by leaving Lake Tahoe area and going back east of Vermont to a ski academy there. So you grew up in, did you grow up in Tahoe or did you grow up in San Francisco or where did you grow up? Yeah, it's called the East Bay. So close to San Francisco. Okay. So grew up there like uh, when I was 12, my parents bought a house up in Alpine Meadows and that's when we moved there full time and started going to school up here. I just did like a year and a half of actually school in, in Tahoe where I was skiing every afternoon after school on the weekends. 
And then I just, you know, I was one of the top kids at 13, you know, GS was my strongest event and, and solid at like slalom. But um, I like the speed. I kind of, I gravitated towards like that super G downs. And back then, like when you're 12, 13, they have like little legit downhills to run, you know, for races. So it was pretty cool um, growing up, you know, at that age, just going fast. And, and then uh, I really didn't have aspirations to like take, like be a, a professional ski racer. It was more just, I wanted to see, like have a great opportunity and see, you know, what I could do in the sport and just like chip away every year. And, and I guess right around when I was like 16, 17 is when I made like the, the full commitment to it and really pushed hard for a couple of years and, you know, had a goal of making the national team and then racing world cup. And, and it's just like every few years just had made next step, next, next step. And, and it just took off from there. How old were you when you went back East? Cause you said, and, and was that a, was that a hard decision to leave Tahoe and to go back East? I mean, the snow is, the snow is a little bit harder back East. It's uh snow's harder, less snow, less terrain, smaller mountains, but you know, the, uh, the core racing was back East for in the U S like all the top kids in my age group and age group ahead of me seemed to be coming out of the East coast. Uh, you know, guys like, you know, these guys like Eric Slopey, Casey Puckett. I mean, Jeremy Nobus, he was going to GMDS. Um, AJ Kitt was like the big standout and Doug Lewis from Green Mountain Valley school. And that was kind of, that was the school I ended up going to. I looked at Burke Mountain Academy, looked at Stratton, the big three and then GMDS. And that just felt better to me and had more variety, a bigger, um, you know, bigger mountain to ski. And I just, I met some, like some of the coaches and teachers there and some of the, the student athletes It just, it just, you know, it was a better connection for me. So I went back when I was 14 years old, left mom and dad, full boarding student, like, you know, having to figure out like do your own laundry and just like, you know, balance a, you know, like a, a checkbook and, you know, just sign up for the races, send the checks in. I mean, you have, you have like your coaches and, and like a dorm parent helping you out with that stuff. But it was, it was like a big change, you know, cause I had everything done for me um, at that age, all the way up to 14 till I, you know, went back East. But now with my own kids, I'm like, you guys got to figure this out now. Like you're doing laundry, you're doing dishes, you're doing like all these little things like chip in, you know, help the family out. And, how old are your kids? They're 13. I got twins, a, a girl, Miley, and a boy is Drayson. Okay. So, so you went back and forth in, at 14. What age, what, what, uh, what grade was that? Ninth grade. Ninth Sorry, grade. Sorry, the trucky train's going by right now outside. All right. Well, we get a little ambiance. This is good. Like, this yeah, is, yeah, this is authentic. Like, <laughs> I'm at my wife's studio right here. She's in the, in the fitness, uh, fitness world. And I actually do some, like, virtual training i've been doing a lot of that um throughout the summer and, and uh coming into the ski season so this is kind of like the, the little you know place here in, in downtown Truckee we got oh nice okay well it's cool i like the background too that's awesome oh uh, yeah this is all like original like historic wall i mean you can't put anything in the walls here you know they don't want to you know i mean it crumbles a little bit all the mortar between the bricks it's a little little sandy but uh, it, it, it's a cool little spot. And then, you know, downtown Truckee is great. But right now it's, it's like, I've been doing these uh, virtual workouts like from 5.30 to 6.30, get out here about 7 p.m. And, 
And, um, you know, the town's ghost, ghost town. I mean, it's just crazy right now with the restrictions and you know, COVID and all that. I mean, you can do a takeaway from some of the restaurants, but it's, it's a different scene this year. I mean, I've never seen it like this quiet. And hopefully you won't again, really. I mean, hopefully we won't in our lifetime. So let's get back to the racing though. It's 16, 17. So by the time you were like a junior senior, you had decided that this was it, that you wanted to go and make the national team. What did that mean to you when you, when you made that decision? What was, the, what was the switch that you flipped or what were the things that you had to do to change what you'd been doing before? Uh, well, you know, I, I came from the West, like really strong skier, top three, almost every race. Went back East, I couldn't even make top 20. I couldn't even make junior uh, JOs, junior Olympics the first year. And that was crushing. Like, that was tough. Like, I was on my own trying to figure it out. Like, I mean, the skis, like trying to tune my skis on the ice and, you know, prepare for that kind of condition, which is something I never had to deal with in the West. And it was a rugged year. And so, but instead of getting, I just, uh, you know, deterred from or degraded, you know, from like just lack of like, you know, fast skiing, and struggling, it kind of made me buckle down a little more and, and figure out like, okay, I got to work harder now physically. I got to put more time in when you watch a video, like figure out like, you know, how to set my equipment best. And um, I was really small too, so I didn't really help out. You know, I was a freshman, I was 95 pounds, 4'11", going into high school. And just, there's me and this guy, Arn, my buddy Arn, we were the smallest kids. We had a competition and I was the first one to, to go over a hundred pounds, like, you know, right before Christmas break, but it was like, you know, we were just getting picked on and, and it was, I guess, it, you know, it was good because it kind of made us scrappy. And that's kind of what I've taken through my whole career, you know, just having to figure out how to do it as the, you know, someone smaller and all that. And, but I got 17, I ended up uh, winning the Noram Super Duty title. And I was like, all right, you know, I, figuring I'd be on the U.S. team then, but I wasn't named and, and had to kind of like uh, take two more years after high school, just grinding it out and then figuring out my own program. And I joined two brothers, the uh, Phillips brothers, Harper and Briggs Phillips, who Harper was on the team with me as well for a couple of years. And we did it on our own. And uh, it was pretty awesome. It was definitely gratifying. Like it made me appreciate my coaches so much more when I did everything set up uh, before and then after, you know, I made the national team because we were down in New Zealand, the three of us and setting our own courses, doing video between, you know, you know, among just us, you know, take like two laps and switch it up. And then we're doing everything, you know, just like the grind was, was for real, figured out how much it, it took to like set even good training to get something out of it. So. And so you were coaching each other. Yeah. Coaching each other setting up like our own courses, having to get all the, you know, drills, everything kind of like organized. And we did have some uh, help from a friend of mine, uh, Jim Schaefer from, uh, you know, he went to UVM. He was actually running the Mount Hut ski program down there. And, you know, we had a coach lined up that was coming with us, but he dropped us like a week out before our trip. And so we were going, we were like, Hey, we're still going down there. We figured it out. And Jim basically like, supplied the gates, supplied the drills, helped us out with training space. And but we we're pretty much like, hey, you guys get up there and you're on your own. And we, we did it, you know, it was, that was pretty cool. 
when you look back on that, is that, are those defining moments? Like is your success a result of having had, having been 4'11", 95 pounds, having not been named to the team when you thought you should be named to the team and then having to do it on your own? Do you feel like, like what, what did it do for you? How did it, how did it change your perspective, like your mental perspective when you made it to the World Cup or when you were on the U.S. team? Well, Chris, I was lucky with my, my parents being able to support what I wanted to do. And um, they can't, kind of gave me an ultimatum, though. It's like, we'll give you a year after high school and you got to make it happen. And I didn't. I still had some good results, but I wasn't quite there. And, and I had one coach that kind of uh, lobbied for me pretty hard, you know, saying, hey, like I could see, you know, Darren's got this potential and, and uh, he just needs another year. And it was like a do or die year. And, I think all that stuff, you know, like you just mentioned, like the timeline and what I went through, it helped me, you know, um, just fine tune kind of my approach and, and just found out that hard work, you know, just just having a, you know, it's tough. I mean, you can't always have a positive attitude. It's the grind. You have these ups and downs, you know, and, but um, it just, it was a sweet taste when you did well. And I just wanted more of that. And I just, I was trying to figure out how, you know, I could be more consistent and do it. And I think it was once I made the U.S. team, I had a pretty quick uh, transition from going from C team in 93, 94 to 95. I was on the A team, you know, top 30 in the world, World Cup. And so, and not, you know, many others were like, you know, on that same kind of fast track. But I kind of established myself pretty quickly. And so maybe it was, it was better that I had two years on my own, just, you know, just trying to, to uh, develop a little more. And, and um, you know, and then I was under the gun. I wasn't like, and plus I wasn't <clears throat> trying to make the U.S. national team for the jacket. You know, I didn't care about that stuff. I, I wanted to be at that point, like, hey, can I be the best? Can I be the fastest, you know, skier down the mountain just one time? That was my biggest kind of driving goal. It was that that was the goal that you said I want to be the fastest what was what was the intermediate goal though did you in order to make the team you had to meet a criteria right it wasn't it wasn't discretionary you had to be ranked somewhere in the world right in order to in order to do that what was the ranking you needed yeah I don't even know it's been a long time it was just basically <laughs> like you gotta you know just be one of the top kids in the U.S. to you know, just show you have potential and, and uh, working hard. And I think, you know, it's just like, yeah, there's results, but there's also like, okay, like, yeah, look at this, like this athlete and see, you know, what they might have in them. And maybe I just, you know, showed that I had some, you know, relentless fight and, and, um, you know, I, I put a lot of work into it. Like I was pretty much the first one on the hill, last one off, you know, most days. And, and spent a lot of time on my skis, just getting those things, you know, as dialed as I could. And that made a difference. Like, as a ski racer, you don't want any doubt. You know, as a professional athlete relying on any equipment, you don't want any doubt in that. And, and so I try to, like, control that as much as I could and, and zero any of that out. So I kind of put the extra time into that as well. But I also, like, gravitated towards, like, the fast guys, like I wanted to like learn from them. And so say like when I first made the team, like, okay, you could start doing some super G training, some downhill training. We got Tommy Moe, 
AJ Kitt, Kyle Rasmus, and the top three guys in the U.S. ski team. And every day I was like hunting them down. I was trying to like go out there and train him and beat him. And it, it, you know, it didn't happen right away, but then there'd be like a run where I'd be fastest that day. And like, well, I mean, you start chipping away like that and you just build confidence. And, and, uh, but I learned a lot from those guys. And AJ was really, he was kind of one of like the, the guys that kind of like was that role model for me, uh, mentor. And, and he really tried to like, I mean, he gave it his time a little bit to like help me out, you know, kind of show me the ropes. AJ Kit, so AJ was five years older than you. Is that? Yeah. Yeah. So he was there and he he won a World Cup, had had three World Cup victories taken away taken away from him. Brutal, but he, yeah. But he was one of the guys who was really chipping away. And as an American, right? As, as an American, there was a there was a trough basically of like downhill. And and really super G results where where there just weren't any. And he was he was really one of the guys who broke through to establish that the Americans could be successful in a European sport and in a European discipline. AJ really started shining, you know, on the World Cup circuit. And then Mo just came out of nowhere and and nailed the Olympics in '94. And that was like, I mean, there's a lot of excitement around the team at that point. And then Kyle '95 wins Vangen, Kapitfiel. That was my big breakthrough. Uh, fourth place in Kapitfiel, Super G behind Kyle. He was third. But the guy in fifth was Gunther Mader. He was the one guy, like the Austrian guy, that I, I really paid attention to a lot. I like his style, kind of what he, you know, what he brought to the hill. And he was, you know, really strong in all disciplines. But his downhill Super G GS style kind of like more resonated with me. And, and I was just like, I can't believe I just, you know, nip this, this guy that I've been like, basically like studying over the years. Right. And, and like, I, now I'm in, in it becomes like, a hero, right? I'm in this, yeah. I'm in this like top group now. It was, that was a pretty amazing feeling, but it, that was a, that was 95. And it took me five years before I bettered that result. I had a number of top tens, you know, six, seventh places, um, but I never kind of cracked in at the podium. And then back in Norway, I feel like that's where things just turned around. I went in my first downhill and did the same thing the next day. And so that was kind of like, when you finally do it, you believe that you can, that you belong. And that's like the biggest thing. I love seeing guys like now, like RCS, Yeah. you know, Ryan Cochran Siegel takes his first win this year in Bormio in the, in the uh, Super G. And he knows if he does the right thing, he executes top to bottom, uh, he can be the fastest in the world. And that was kind of like one of the best feelings, I guess, to have for me and, and for any athlete to feel that is, is pretty amazing. Was that when you felt like you belonged really was when you finally, when you finally won or did you feel like you belonged prior to that? Cause that's the hardest part, right? I mean, sometimes it's so easy to go to a ski race and to feel like, oh, these guys are so good and those guys are so good and I'm here, I'm in the race, but I'm not really in the race. On the World yeah. Cup, when did you feel like you were, you were in the race and people should actually notice you instead of you noticing them? Yeah, I think, well, I think it was that pretty much that first win. I mean, it was, uh, you know, you just, I was fourth, I'm like, ooh, that was close, that was great, but, 
you know, I, I got to be more consistent and I got to just bust through here and, and make this next step. And, and that was like the first time where that, that win, that leading up to that win, that was the first time I really focused on me, nothing else. I wasn't like really paying attention to what the Austrians or the Swiss were doing, the Norwegians. It was like, this is what I got to do. And I'm going to ski like this and, and fully focused on, on uh, my plan of attack, my approach, the line I was going to ski, how I was going to ski it. <clears throat> and then the best feeling was like the next day, all right, I just did it. And uh, I called my buddy, Zach Chris, and he was my roommate for years. And we were just, we came out together on the team and he ended up retiring um, and went to ski cross, but he was the first person I called, you know, that wasn't like there at the, uh, at the event or first person I talked to that wasn't there. And he's, it was just like fun to share it with him. And he just told me, he's like, Hey, you, you've already proven yourself in the fastest, you know, in the world. Like everything else is like ice in the cake now, like go out and do it again. Why not? And the next day I had this like crazy confidence, this flow. I mean, I didn't get much sleep at all. I was just up all night, but um, I still just, I was on this high and just like, it was probably the closest to perfect I've ever had for a run that second day. And, and um, it was just, I remember that, like the feeling was so good and just, I was just locked in. What does that mean to be locked in? I mean, you say you were so locked in. What is it? What does it mean? What does it, what does it feel like? Does it feel like something before you go through the start? Does it feel like something when you wake up in the morning? Does it, is it like pushing out of the gate? What is it? Man, right off the bat, I was just like, here we go. Like, I mean, just, I'm going to, I'm going to just nail this thing another, you know, I'm going to ski even better than I did yesterday. And just, yeah, this, just the feeling there, just, there's certain places. I don't know you probably have the same, same feelings as places you go, you know, it's like, just how things kind of like, I mean, the food you have, or just like smell a feel of just being around this little area. And, and um, just the hill was so fun to ski too. And I think that's one thing, like for me growing up, like just skiing a lot of terrain and just being always like searching out the, you know, the most kind of crazy run I could find. I mean, I never really liked being on like just a, a straight flat, you know, like pitch groomer. I want to have terrain and stuff to work off. And this is what this downhill is like in Norway. And it was, it's just being locked into me was just focused. Knowing I, you know, like I was on the right track all day. And then just when I was skiing, I was just so connected with the hill and, and the flow was there and, and all I was thinking about was like just making really strong, clean turns, generating power, taking the speed and looking for, for speed, like good aerodynamics. And it was just, uh, everything was just clicking. It was just one of those most fun runs. Like we're just, you're pushing, you're, 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 you're going for it, but it was just a super nice flow. And it was kind of like easy skiing. Well, it sounds like it was that fun. And it also sounds like it was liberation too. I mean, like you'd finally freed yourself from like having to, having to answer to the Austrians and the Swiss and, and whether they cared or not, but, but it freed you up in that respect. It sounds like, sounds like that's what happened is like, okay, now it doesn't matter. Now I just do what I do and, and it's good enough, you know, it's good enough to, to be competitive. Did anybody, did, did you hear anybody say anything? Did, was there surprise from the people of like, well, Darren won and you know I mean you you went from being 411 but you're still you're still 58 right you know so you're you're not the biggest guy 
on the World Cup too. It, it was there was there surprise from the other competitors that you were the guy on the top step of the podium. I think so, and like that's why I really wanted to go out the second day and prove it was just a fluke. That was actually a little extra motivation, too, you know. And and it was just I was able to better that that run before. You know, there's there's so much can go on at speed and downhill and and um, you know even hit like a bump, you know, and losing your ski and kicked out wide or something like that. You lose a couple of tents and, you know, time goes by quick. Uh, you can't make up, but it was just, I was on that edge and I was just on that just killer line with just, I was having to hustle. I always like those, like the ski where I feel like I need to hustle. They just, just to, you know, stay in or stay on the, on the, on the race line. As opposed to just staying in your chalk. Right. Yeah, if you don't have time, well, I'm mean, always fighting. I was always trying to like just, I was just thinking, always trying to keep the hands together, keep the hands together, and you know, you just know so like, go down the, the road and going 70 miles an hour, put your arm out the window and just feel the drag right there, just on your arm, and the way you can like change things by just like turning your wrist or you know just just getting a good feel for it. I always play with that, and then it'd be automatic like what I had to do when I'm racing, but it's 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 crazy how much like just like the I just call it the air break. If you're standing up, your arms are out, your elbows are out, or just you're not in a good aero position, how much time you actually lose. So I was like super focused on that. My benefit being smaller, like one, I was like really strong for my, for my like size and weight, but like I have less surface area so I can cut through the wind better. So I'm like looking at like the positives, like what's my advantage over everybody else? Like I'm not gonna be fast as these guys. These guys are weighing 200, 10, 220 pounds in the flats. But like, I got to figure out how to go faster into these flats, be better aerodynamics, work on gliding. I mean, I jumped on an atomic test track a bunch whenever we, we had a chance and no other athletes were really doing that. I was just trying to jump in there with the test team and, and work on my own skills. And, and so I guess going back to like being a hard worker, like I was looking at every detail, like what I needed to do to improve myself. So then when I got in the gate, it was all up to me. It wasn't like, oh, I just don't have this, you know? And I think that's, that, that's a big difference from the top athletes that are consistently fast and competent and, and pulling down the results is just, just knowing that they belong in that, in that league, you know? If they put down the best run, they, they're going to be untouchable. That's kind of how I felt, you know, in certain, certain races. You believed that you had that competitive advantage and, and, and it, was, it was because of your preparation it was because of your your aerodynamics, your ability to to be to be more aerodynamic in places where other guys weren't necessarily. This was also oh, go ahead. And I wanted to find I wanted to find lines that no one else could ski. To me, that was like a challenge. Also, like how can I like I mean, and I'd always like try and figure something out, but maybe even save it just for race day. Because if you show it on on your training run, then it's fast like everybody's gonna you know study it and change it and be right there so in downhill it was kind of a game a little bit because you you want to save something but in another hand like yeah can i pull it off and i get to the point where i'm like well i'm gonna you know i'm gonna trim this down just on race day or or run this out a little more and and do, do a little something different and it's like bodie he, one year in uh kitsville he just crushed the top and chipped up all this like line on the inside. And uh, that was his last training run. He was really fast, maybe a ton of time, but then it's like, he showed his cards, right? Too soon. 
this is after I, I was racing, but he had a chance of winning, you know, there that day. And, and, um, like a lot of other guys took that line and he didn't have that advantage anymore. So it's like, but we, we played, we played a lot of that, those games a little bit and, um, try to save something for race day. Just as long as you feel if they can pull it off. Now, did you feel like you knew this kind of stuff? Cause downhill, obviously I mean, there, it, there's so many different lines that you can take in a downhill and, but you'd been a skier who skied so much of the mountain, just so many, so many different lines throughout your, throughout your lifetime, throughout the whole growing up. Do you felt like, did you feel like you had that, like you, you'd figured something out, like you saw something differently as a result of your experience growing up? Probably that too, but there's a lot of studying too, like looking at like physics, you know, experiments, like, you know, all kinds of things. And remember Eva Tordokins, her father, like had this experiment. It was pretty interesting. It was like a, like a, it was like a, just a 45 degree angle, flat, um, just, you know, pitch where you put a ball up here and roll it down and like have like a, a long run out flat. And there was another one that was more like a big old bend. And so it, the, balls at the same time the two like uh two uh, ball bearings that drop at the same time and you'd think like the shorter distance would like you know like make it to the finish line faster but it's actually the one that like accelerated faster had this like dip to it but was going like longer distance on that track that actually came out ahead so that kind of stuff like i i looked into i was trying to figure that out on the ski hill how can i like gain more speed here and, and still, you know, not lose it out by going a little longer line or you give the gain some places. And it, to me, it was really fun trying to like really be analytical and, and think it through of like, where's gravity going to be the most beneficial to me and how can I use it to my advantage? And is it cutting off the line here? Is it going like letting it run out longer there? There's all kinds of like studying really. And I, I really enjoyed that part of it like just picking it apart. And it's, uh, but that one experiment, I mean, what it's called, but it was just like that was from early on that really stood out to me as a, uh, a way to kind of like try and gain speed on the hill. Gain so, speed. Find that steep section. If you're going to accelerate up to your max speed, it's going to benefit you later on. Yeah. But even like looking at like, even from the start to the, like the first gate, like how can I cut off like five feet of line? you know, or the finish line, like <clears throat> looking down the snow. I was a fan of like inspecting. I like, I mean, lay down the snow and be like, you know, my head be just about two feet off the ground instead of standing up. And then you kind of, you get a better like read, you know, like seeing the contours of the hill. And hey, if, if I just, I mean, let the hill take me this way, that's just gain a little more. And when you, when you're down to one, you know, hundredth of a second for like a win, I mean, that's with the aerodynamics and just cutting off like a, a foot or two here and there, that's going to add up. So I think that was kind of like the, what I loved about downhill. Like you said, there's a huge like variety of like space distance in the turns and where you can like, you know, where the, the skiers are going. You look at it down, even like, especially younger like kids, like it's crazy. You see like a super G race for like the juniors and there's like 20 feet difference in lines. Right. In World Cup, maybe there's like 10 feet difference in lines, but I want to be on that, that, you know, inside of the 10 feet, you know, like trying to trim it down where I could. 
cut it down as much as possible mentally. So, so Kitfell, you, you won both races back to back, but then that's the end of the season, right? Yeah, that was in a season. Actually, we went from there to Bormio for a World Cup finals and, and I had a top 10 there too. So that was, you had three like great races right at the end. And it was like, Oh, you know, I want to keep going. Like, let's keep the season going here. You know, I just, I just figured it out. That's the hard part, you know, then it's like over and like, okay, gotta wait till next year. But that was a good motivating uh, factor right there to just do what I could. I mean, I get a little break, but just work hard and like, okay, I'm gonna keep this rolling. That's when things like started happening for me. And that was uh, 2000. So that was 2000. What did you, did you do stuff differently during the summertime, during your summer practice? You're skiing during the summer, you're doing dry land. Did you approach that differently at all? Not, not really that drastically, you know, it was just, uh, at that point it was more quality and quantity. I think I stopped going to Mount Hood around then because, you know, I wanted to like focus more on a good long break and then going to New Zealand and Chile where we had more like winter-like conditions something similar that I'd be, you know, able to get, get good feelings back on the, from the boots and skis, you know, like Mount hood is great for volume and, and getting a lot of like uh, training in. So at that point I was like, I just need a little extra break, you know, and, and I, I forced myself not to train till like maybe I like could in uh, mid July. So when others are like really cranking away, I was waiting, waiting, waiting. I was still being really active. I was on the water, riding my moto and, all that stuff. So I was challenging myself athletically and mentally and, and physically, but I wasn't on like a, a grinding program that was hard to maintain through the summer. And I was just, I remember like, uh, I felt like I was behind the eight ball a little bit. And so I really focused, you know, from like end of July coming into like October in the Solden races were I was, I was really kind of like on a, a good program, motivated and hungry. And that was just something good for me, you know? So maybe like just, you learn kind of like, you have to have that like passion. I've never, never felt like I was burned out in skiing. Maybe there's a time where I feel like, yeah, I benefit from this break. It's gonna make me more hungry, but it wasn't like, oh, I just need to get off skis. Like I was off the race course and I was like free skiing until, you know, the lift shut down. And, and I, I was never like now I'm skiing through the whole summer still, you know, on certain days, like I'm way in the back country, you know, hiking for turns. And I never had that when I was racing. I think it's, but just the way the equipment's changed and, and everything, I just, uh, I'm blown away. Like what I still find like these days, you know, like still find awesome skiing just outside the resorts and you just got to work for it a little bit more, but it, it feels good to kind of, be more immersed in nature and all that. And I think, uh, you know, as a ski racer, having some of that knowledge and that would have been great too. But I mean, the path I was on worked pretty well. Now, 2001 in some ways was, was another big breakthrough for you, right? Can you talk us through the world championship super G in 2001? Yeah. Well, the weekend before was, was like the big step because Okay. I was third in Kitzbühel and downhill. And it was like, it was Austrian podium. Herman Meyer won, uh, uh, Werner Franz a second. I tied with Stefan Eberharder in third. But they uh, they cut me out of the, the front page of the paper. I was on the outside of Eberharder and they're like, yeah, I'll just keep like 
our three Austrians, one, two, three, and Kitzbühel. Like they were three, top three, but oh, here's an American, Darren. Like you know, he was third, but we'll just chop him out of the out of that like you know front page paper. I was like, come on, like I just put my life on the line, you know, in a great race, and I want a little respect and and uh, you know <laughs> for that. And that kind of, but that right there was just I was on a high. I mean, being on the podium in Kitzbühel was was a lifelong dream and and it just infused so much energy you know just firing me and i came into saint anton with with that kind of i was on a high i was rolling and um the first race was a super g and it, it was definitely i was i was surprised like i mean you know the top guys herman and everharder won two um herman you know he was second actually but uh never really was off the top step in super g for you know a couple of years there he was dominant for a good long while like big step ahead like physically and and um but just he would attack like no one else would you know and that that was just crazy i mean to do it my two favorite places to be fast was <clears throat> austria then the u.s i mean austria is the place you know it's just that's number one um that was number one focus for me i want to have my best races in austria just because the sport's so big over there and you're on their home turf and as an american you're up you're like the underdog we have four or five coaches they get like 15 coaches on the hill and um they get every section covered where we're like you know we have a couple sections we, we're not covering but maybe we'll partner up with the norwegians get norwegians a little bit and and use some of their information and and trade off because they're another small team. So it kind of felt good like to punch it in there with with such a team that was really dominant, had a lot of depth. I mean the big superstars, but they had every all the means, you know, to like get it done. And it was in their house. Yeah, and it was their house. Like it was their turf. And I think like I mean Herman was he was pissed that he was second me on Everharder for sure. And then um I come down and, and nip them both and he's just like just started laughing shaking his head like what a joke you know it's like and and that guy was just he was a tough tough competitor as far as like getting any respect from him you know like ever everybody else is like i mean it's never fun to get beat but shake somebody's hand and look him in the eye and and like hey you know i, I put it all out there did, did what i could today you're faster congratulations you beat herman he was just like look look away as you're shaking your hand like really man and so that made me even want to like you know beat him even more like you gotta treat you know treat me like with that kind of like disrespect and and he he was a guy like i guess you know like definitely felt threatened like it was his throne and he he was always like do little things and mess with me and it took me a couple of years of like battling with him to actually finally get respect you know it, it was it was a tough like i always felt like okay i'm gonna I mean, not my enemy, but I don't like, you know, I'm not going to like be clap my hands and excited for you. If you beat me, I'll suck it up and, and uh, congratulate you. But, but, um, but you went after it on this one too, right? Cause this is the, this is the one where, where you made one turn just completely on your inside ski, which is the thing that we'd been taught not to do from, you know, from, from the time you're a little ski racer and, 
I, I went back and I watched it yesterday and my mind, your, your outside ski was like up at your, up at your shoulder and like flapping at the, uh, at the audience. But, uh, but, but that was, that was one of those, I mean, you just, you just stuck it in there and did what you had to do. Was that, was that kind of the mindset and was that the mindset coming off of Kitzbühel as well? Yeah. I mean, just really, really going for, like, I came into that turn as off the waterfall and the compression and then like kind of a bank turn to follow it. They had a lot of like, you know, changes through the whole, through the whole, like, you know, beginning to end of the turn. But I came in there really direct and uh, just hit some chop wrong way, just a little too hard, you know, at a late moment and ski kicked away from me. But I won that race from start to down there. I was hanging on from there down to the finish. I was making some mistakes. I was pretty late in the line. You know, the skiing wasn't great after that last turn, but that's, uh, you know, luckily I had a margin that was ahead on the, uh, up to that point that kind of saved me there. But, um, I just, that, that was kind of my style a little bit too, just, just driving it in there and, 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 uh, getting loose a little bit. And I, I mean, those runs feel better too, you know, when you're on the edge and you still pull it together or you, you pull it off, but it was, it was a huge shock. I remember just kind of across the finish like, wow, you know, like, I just did in their house and, and already had the two fastest guys that went down in front of me. So I was pretty damn sure I was, I was probably going to stay up there in that spot. And that was like when the shock was kind of settling in like world champ, you know, thinking about that, but you never want to jinx yourself. You never know in ski racing, you got to wait till the last skier comes down. And, and I was just definitely on pins and needles, you know, just hanging on there you guys changed a little bit. Cause I mean, you talk about, this seems like a great transition to talk a little bit about Bodie as well, because, because you're just keeping the ski pointed down the hill. I mean, you're doing whatever you could to keep that ski pointed down the hill. And then you and Bodie in a lot of ways, when took, took the place of, of some of the Austrians, I think that, that it looks like from the outside, I don't know how it felt, but it looked like they looked at you guys and were trying to figure out what you were doing. Did you feel that shift with the two of you being so dominant? It was a huge shift for sure, Chris. Like we used to train with those guys in Portillo. Um, we trade off, you know, we give them some training hill space in, uh, in Colorado early season for a little trade off. Like in one was uh, a couple of weeks before the world champs. They're like, yeah, you guys can come over and train some Super G. We actually get on that hill to train. You're not allowed to be on the World Cup Hill like 10 days before a race. So we were there just before that, that, um, that blocked out window. Mm-hmm. And after that, after we, you know, I beat him there at Worlds and, and, you know, Bodie was like really coming on 0-2, you know, scoring some great races. Uh, our relationship changed big time, but we were always looking at the Austrians. What are they doing? They're, you know, on-hill training, they're off-hill fitness, like, you know, approach and, and really trying to like, cause they were a big step ahead and we were trying to really soak it up and we started figuring things out. And our sports science program really got fine tuned um, those couple of years and we just started taking off. And then we, all of a sudden we were not getting the prime week in Portillo like we used to, or two weeks, the Austrians like brought in, you know, more, you know, people, more money and all that stuff. So we're shifted to the, you know, the, the, the second like um, opportunity 
to get there but we had like priority before that but you know money talks like you know they're gonna pay some more than they're gonna get it same thing in new zealand we were kind of like we're always getting hosed, you know, after that by the Austrians stepping in on our normal like training, you know, blocks, but we had to take like the second seat. So you're not getting the, the training time that you needed, but then also like the training space, like the prime, the prime hill, the best training hills and that kind of thing. Is that what you're saying? Yeah. Like, I mean, they basically just, you know, just outbid us, you know, as far as what, you know, we were going to pay, but this use continues paying like, Austrians like we want pride. Oh, the, the U.S. American, the Americans have that. Like, but well, we want it. What are they paying you? We'll pay you more. You know, like just the resorts and and so we started. You know, it was it was a good relationship to start with, and then we just saw that like there was a big shift there because we we're competitive with them, and they didn't want to. They did, were trying to do everything they could to to like have the upper hand. And um, but you work it out and figure it out and. We started partnering more with the Norwegians uh, at that point. And, and we'd go like after the World Cup races were done, we'd be up in Norway training on the World Cup hill, like killer conditions and testing new skis and boots and and trade off with them. And they came to Colorado and and on our venues, you know, so that, that was a great like partnership there. And they st still are working together, the Americans and the, and the Norwegians. Right. And I mean, that team is just, to me, that's like the strongest team right now. I mean, the Swiss, but the Norwegians have got it going on. And, and it's crazy because they're such a small team too. Well, so it's such a small country too. Yeah. I mean, a tiny little country that really would be more of a state. Did, did the Austrians, because you spent so much time like looking at them and trying to figure out, you know, what they're doing, how, how they're doing it, how you might be able to do what they're doing. Which is which is always hard, right? I mean, can you can you do what they're doing better than they're doing it by copying them? But then yeah. was there a shift where then they started looking at you saying, hold on, these guys are doing some stuff that's different than we're doing and it's faster. And now, I mean, which had to be swallowing a fair amount of pride too, right? Where Austrians are going, well, let's see if we can learn something from the Americans. Did that happen? I think they, they, they did too. I mean, well, a big thing was just like in the start house, my buddy, uh, Pete Levin, we call him baby Huey and big old dude, you know, he's got a t-shirt under his U.S. national team jacket, sweating, like just steam coming off of him and just in there, raw, you know, like, come on, D crush this thing, you know, and the same thing for Bodie. And, and, uh, we started, we were killing it, you know, those, those couple of years. And then, it's like the next season, all of a sudden the Austrians have this big dude, the motivator that's at the start yelling at their ski racers. You know, it's like, yeah, they're trying to find things like, you know, that are going to, you know, get them back on track. They're pushing them out there. Because it's like a football mentality in some ways, right? It's like the, the football, like run through the wall. Yeah, I mean, to me, I, my routine is like, I wanted to get fired up. My, you know, like I'm, I'm warming up enough where like I'm breathing heavy blood's like just boiling you know and i'm breathing and just like trying to calm down and get my zone but i get this like big guy backing me up in the start and he's just telling me how much i'm just going to tear this thing apart you know and and uh it was like an extra like just push and, and motivator and it was awesome like having him around and and uh like some guys like the team like oh can you ease off like i don't really like that you know just be quiet he's like yeah no problem but 
you know, for me and Bodie, it was like, like Huey had lighted up in the start. And, and it was funny because, yeah, the next season, here, here come, you know, the Austrians was some, some guy like that. But he couldn't match what baby Huey had, no chance. But it was, it was kind of funny. We had a good laugh at that. But, you know, it's just, I think it was fun battling as a smaller nation in the ski world with like the top nation, the Austrians and being in the mix. I had a lot of respect for them, every one of them, you know, I mean, yeah, I had some great friendships with those guys, but um, you know, it comes down to racing. You just want to do your best and, and lay it on line. And if it works great, if it doesn't, you still got to, you know, high five the next guy, but like that's a little extra fire in the belly. Well, you also know that, that you get, you knew you gave it everything you had. And so then you can come back the next time and try yeah, to. That was like one point I want to make too on that. Like those are my most satisfying races where I came down the finish line. I was like, I laid it all on the line. I am just smoked right now. I have nothing left. And I took, took some chances and it made a mistake. Even if I didn't win, you know, you have to be happy with that outcome. Just your, what you brought that day. And to me, those are the best days. Like if there's a, a race where I kind of held back and like just backed up a little bit or over skied something because I wasn't like 100% sure, like that ate away at me big time. And it just, you know, I, I, I mean, it really affected me. Like I was like sick to my stomach, felt like crap. And just, you know, it, it's, it was brutal. Those, those shitty days where I did not do everything I, I was capable of doing. And um, it, it wasn't always the results. And a lot to do with just like how you felt inside, you know, about, about your effort. I've heard you say before that there are defining moments. Like as you're, as you're going into your race, what, what is that, what does that mean for you? What, what are the, what are the defining moments? And the other part of it is how do you prepare for a defining moment? Uh, I mean, so I guess I'll start with preparing, you know, for one of those moments. It's like, there's a lot of work that goes into it. And, and uh, I just want to be 100% sure of myself, give myself every opportunity to be, you know, recovered, ready to go. Like I put all the training in, you know, you've done all the, all the work, but it's like getting yourself to that point where you're, I mean, you're looking at nutrition, you're looking at just recovery. So you're feeling like you get just on leash on that, that, that course that day. What about the mental side? Yeah, on the mental side, when I felt like I had to tell myself I, I could do it, it wasn't there. You know, there's like, there's other times where I just knew, like, this is mine, you know, like, this is my opportunity. And, and I, I always look at it like, this could be one of the best days of my life right now if I could just, you know, put it all together. And like, it's worth taking a chance for that. I'd rather blow it by trying, you know, everything I could possibly get away with and like maybe holding back a little bit and just being safe and just and not blowing it you know i just think that's going back to like that ultimate feeling of satisfaction of putting it on the line and then getting away with it hustling down the hill and, and getting a little loose like that turn in saint anton or across the the side hill traversing kitsville right like you know kicked around a little bit and it was able to pull it back like those moments are kind of more exciting anyways you know than like just having a really clean run top to bottom with no mistakes. And that's really like, that's rare. And if you don't, you're not making mistakes, I don't think you're going fast enough or pushing the line enough. 
Well, it's like Franz Klammer's 76, right? Is probably one of, if not the most famous ski run ever. And it seemed like he was all over the place. And I know as a kid, that's, that's what we were trying to, we were trying to imitate him as, as best we could to prepare for like a Kitzbühel. When does, when does the mental stuff start? Like, like, are you starting this months before? Is this, is this during the summertime where you're building that confidence so that you know that, that you're gaining momentum and you're getting, you're getting ready or, or you're going to be ready and you can just let go and just have fun? Or how does, how does that process work? I, I, mean, I, I spent quite a bit of time, you know, watching, you know, tape off of uh, like the race, like the year before, or, you know, it's just some good, like, runs top the bottom of Kitsfield like the summer and just go by my head a bunch and just rehearsing you know just put myself back in that place and skiing like how I want to ski it and I'm you know I think everybody's happy it's not the first race of the year it'd be yeah it'd be a shit show it'd be a lot more DNFs or just not that kind of like performance that you'll see out there you know when it is mid-season like you use the other downhill races as like training to get yourself like ready for Kitsfield I mean, it's just uh, the first real like race. We did Lake Louise, but like the first real downhill was like Beaver Creek, where we got some like really demanding turns, big airs. You had to be on your game. But the conditions are better, right? I mean, the conditions generally in Colorado are way better than you're going to get in Austria. Yeah, it's just like the smoothest, most perfect snow you could ever like ski race on. Uh, Beaver Creek, like the talent crew, the course crew, they do the best job hands down of any race hill. It's just really fun skiing. It's really like solid, compact, hard snow, but like, uh, you know, it's just, it doesn't break apart. It's just, there could be guys like in the seventies with pretty close to the same conditions as the guys in the front group, right? Where and it makes a fair race, you know, Europe and it's a lot warmer, icier, stuff just starts breaking down a lot quicker. And so start positions, you know, a lot more important there. Yeah, I mean, they're like trucking snow in half the time and boot packing it onto the hill. And I mean, it's it's like, it's for real, which has got to be as a racer, like that's one of the cool things too, right? Though yeah. is that it's like, this is as real as it's going to get. It's as gnarly as it's going to get. People don't want to do this. So I want to do it more. Yep. Well, I tell you, I, I love skiing on Beaver Creek snow. It felt so good, but I've actually enjoyed more like the rough, gnarly, you know, nasty stuff like in Bormio and Kitsville because I was like, this is where I can maybe separate myself from the others, you know? And, and that was like another like weapon, I guess, in the arsenal for me, knowing that like, Hey, I could, this is, I'm going to thrive off this more. I got, I got to want it and like love it more than anybody else. And um, that's where I, well, but, but like say, you know, Kapitfield and Beaver Creek, really similar snow. Um, then you get to Europe and in Austria and Switzerland, it's a little different. And, but you just have to be able to adapt to that, those different conditions. But I thrived off that stuff. The, the gnarlier it was, I think, and the more consequences, say like at Kitsville, which is the most mentally demanding hill on the World Cup circuit. It just, I just like that because it got me in more of this like hyper-focused mode and I tell you, like I was different going into Kitsfield than any other place that we raced at where like first I'm rolling in and I'd be like, okay, searching out my 
my you know my phone like throw some music on like you know ride a lightning metallica let's go that was like rolling in that night i'd walk up to the uh, finish line jump and i'd be on my own and just in the dark and looking at the side hill traverse and kind of talking to the mountain in a way like hey i'm so fired to be here and and uh, I have full respect for you, you know, keep me safe, but I'm coming out here to own you this week. And uh, just give me a little extra, like help me out, help me go a little faster than anybody else. So you have this like little bit of uh, connection, like more intimacy, which I, I was a fan of. Like I like to try and really uh, just be connected with these hills. And one that stands out just recently, like Sophia Gogia, like had this post about from her coach about, um, you know, just find that line, just let it flow. And, and um, I was like, that, that's what it's about. It's like, you know, the path of least resistance, like where you water and flow down the mountain, like that's where you get to, you know, that's where you gotta, you gotta search that out. You gotta like work with gravity and going back to like how I inspect and, and look at the hill and, and spend a lot of time just trying to like, just eke out any bit of speed I could in every section. I think uh, was fun for me, but it was also like, hey, this is, you know, this is making me kind of like connect more with the mountain. And that's what you got to do to be fast. You got to work with it. You can't work against it. It sounds like from what you're talking about that that it was that it was a lot more. I mean, you're talking about it's the nastiest. These are the nastiest, most difficult conditions, the most dire possible con- consequences, but it's also where you felt most alive, where you felt most spiritual. And in some ways, and this might be a stretch, but it, but it also had felt artistic in some ways. Yeah, we'll go with that. Just from what you were talking about. <laughs> the church is my, you know, or the uh, outdoors and mountains of my church, man. It's just like, I do feel, feel connected, you know, and, and really appreciate, you know, what's out there and, and love. Like I've been, I've always kind of been like appreciative of like, those that like were ahead of me and the history of it but over time like much more you know you know it just it makes a lot more just a more powerful feeling but to have that kind of connection but to me it was like i, I did that in kitsville and i started doing it in borneo i started doing that in like some of the places where i just like you know get like a little more just connected with it and it was so nice to be able to walk up at night and no one else is around me kitsville is just off the hook there are so many people there and you don't have a chance, like, I mean, you're basically like, try, you're, you're like fighting for attention for the mountain, you know, a little bit with everybody else around. But that was like the one chance I had, like that first night we roll in the Kitsville and I go up there and I was like, I could really relax and just like, kind of just take it all in. I was basically like, I mean, just soaking up the energy from the hill. Like I really feel when I'm, I'm, when I'm there, you could feel the energy coming out of the ground. Like to me, maybe it's just, it's that mental aspect. It's just, it means so much to me, right? Just being there and the history and just like what's at stake and, and the opportunity there to, to just uh, ski a hill like that. Like we, there's no other race hill like that in the world. And so you can't just go there and, and, and train on it. You can only get, only get a chance to ski on it once a year during the race. So it's just like all that stuff is like extra, just that's built up and built up inside especially for me and I just felt like that energy from the ground and just like it's going through my body and just feel like you you're just buzzing you know you get like little like uh lightning bolts shooting out of your fingertips a little bit but to me it was, it was like 
it was the big one. And, um, yeah, it's just, it, yeah, you know, there's all, there's a lot of hype, you know, and, and people talk about it, but it's a real deal. I mean, you look at the strife, one hell of a ride that film and, and every racer is talking, like they're not trying to like blow it up. They can, you know, bring more drama to it or talk it up. I mean, it's, it's actually, you know, like how it is. It's like, everybody's terrified, you know, the first day you pretty much just want to make it down clean, hit your marks, get down safe. It's like, okay, I did give it a little too much respect. I was, I backed off a little bit there. Like, and that to me kind of ate me alive a little bit, like, cause I did not want to be backing off, but like by race day, it was all in and, and ready to, ready to, you know, throw down. It was just that, I think that was the most unbelievable feelings when you're faced with those kind of consequences and that risk you calculate it, but, uh, you know, you're, I mean, you really want to take the chance. And that's why I loved, you know, having that opportunity is getting the gate and taking the chance. Can you describe the run? Like how did, and probably even from the preparation, I mean, like, what are you thinking before you get the start? Cause that's, we see you on television. We don't know what's going on. Like, I mean, like, like take us through race day. Like, when do you wake up? What do you do? And then, and then all the way through your run. Well, I was always a fan of trying to save everything for race day, for the race run. And I'd be like, you know, getting everything laid out and I'd be four so I could just wake up as late as I could, trying to get as much sleep as I could. And then like stroll down breakfast and be really, whoever else are you fired up for today? You know, you ready to go? I'm like, I am, but not quite yet. You know, just, you know, we got a couple more hours to go and I just, it would be these, this build up, you know? So you could do that. You could, you could have yourself wake up late and, 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 and build that build. You weren't, you weren't feeling like the nerves and the, I don't want to waste anything. I want to save everything for that, that course. You know, I mean, I hardly ever take elevators, but like day before I'm riding the elevator every time, save my legs, all this stuff. You're thinking about all these little things, right? Like you want to have as much like power and energy in your body as, as possible. Right? I didn't want to waste anything, but I would go out and I, I would like hammer that last train run you know, hundred percent and get, get max out. And I do a big recovery just to be, you know, refreshed and all that. But I've, after that, I've, I've tried to save myself. But it's, uh, and then like for training, you want to get amped up, you know, and like you have these like little kind of peaks of like just intensity and drop it down. But it was to me, like, I'd also like play a little game where I'd, uh, I'd maybe stretch out the time a little too close to, to the start. And I wouldn't want to hang out in the starting area too long. Just too much to think about. And so I'd be kind of like in a little bit of rush. Like, oh, man, I hope I don't like cut this too close. And they used to There's so of, many people on the hill too, oh, right? Yeah. And you got to plan way ahead. It's still trying to get on the, on the lift. And, you know, you know, racers get to cut the line, get right to the front and all that stuff. But, but still, like, you know, it was in a way like I liked to put myself under pressure there. Because it just it was it was just a little bit of like a build up, just like steps all the way up until you get to the start. But then the starting gate, like a couple of guys out, it'd be, um, you know, I'd wait till I put my skis on to maybe two guys out, just want to shake up the legs and just like try not to be in the start house and kind of walk in and like let's get them, you know, let's get into these boards and, and ready to go. And that was just 
for me, it was like a routine of like breathing and, and just trying to get in the zone. Like, you know, just trying to get a lot of air in the lungs, get the body ready and primed, but um, try and blank out really, you know, and just thinking about just trying to get in that like zone in that moment. And just the breathing to me helped a lot. And then just stomping my skis there and getting fired up and you hear the crowd going crazy. And, and, um, but it's just, I'm like, it's just like a slow build up to in the gate and then just bam, like everything you got. And why blank out? Why did you try to blank out? Just cause you know, you just, I'm on autopilot. I know, you know, there's nothing I get, I don't have to think about anything else. Like I know where to go on the hill and just, it's time to just like, just hustle down this mountain and, and try and get down as fast as I could. And, and I think like, you just don't want to have other thoughts, like, you know, run through your head. Like to me, it was just, I want to put everything I had in this, this run, but it was just all going to be like, I mean, it's, it's all laid out. I've already gone over this so many times in my head. I know all the spots I need to be on, on the line, what I need to do. And now it's just, it's hustle time. So, and was it hustle? Is that what you thought? What What are the What were the triggers for you? Yeah, keywords. Like I use the keywords. Like I mean, mine was just like you know, like one I mentioned before. Just like this could be the you know best day of my life right now, or and then crush it. Like just like straight up crush it. That's nothing else. The most treacherous part of Kitzbühel is the bottom traverse off Hausberg, and so this is like where you gotta kind of like go from like being relaxed and nice, clean, like aerodynamic, like tucking turns into like full up fight. And so it would be like a, like a, a switch. It's like, get it, you know, like right into like um, off Hausberg and then all of a sudden things change, like a tempo changes and you gotta get after it right there. So it'd just be like a keyword like that. So the star would be like crush it and just, you know, like just, you know, knowing this opportunity you had, so time to take a chance. And then like in certain spots where you had to go from like a, more relaxed type of skiing to really, you know, all out fight. It'd be just like that keyword, just to try and get yourself to, to like flip the switch a little bit, bring the intensity up. I, I've heard somebody say, I forget who it was, but like on that traverse at the bottom, as you're doing the traverse that it's just, it's a fall away. It's so bumpy that you're bouncing around so much that you can't even, like you can't even focus, like your eyes can't focus. That's it, why you look way ahead. <laughs> is that like, what you do yeah you look way like i mean you could see you know i mean i mean plus like you look way ahead you're able to kind of like really match the right line you know and, and um but yeah it gets bumpy and your head's just banging around and the farther you look ahead the, the smoother it gets you don't be looking like 20 you know or 50 feet in front of your ski tip so you gotta look way out there just to smooth things out but it's uh you kind of just know i mean on that side traverse you're just fighting to, to stick the edge in into the snow and just like like maintain with, with what you got. So you're not really adjusting too much. You're just holding on and trying to keep that like ski tracking. So it's but it's it's an unbelievable feeling, Chris. Like that to me was was the ultimate race and and uh, is that the one you always wanted to win? Yeah. Like of all the races, like oh yeah, hands more, down more than the Olympics or not? Yeah. Well, I mean, obviously, I want to. I want to win a bunch of races, but to win all the races, right? Yeah, if there if there's one, like that's the one. And uh, I mean, 
2006, my last year in Alpine, it was uh, to me like, I, I, you know, if I was going to take that, that downhill win at the Olympics. I won the, the uh, test event, the World Cup event two years before that in the same hill. The fastest train run and everything. Like I was like, this is, you know, this is mine. But um, yeah, it didn't happen. And I'd much rather have that Hanukkah win than the Olympic win. It would be really nice to have both. But, you know, I'm, I'm happy with that, with that like Kitzbühel win there for sure. And then to me, with the, probably the best, like, you know, too, it just, it wasn't that one win. I had seven podiums there in five years. And so I was always kind of like in the hunt. And to be bringing that level of skiing to that race hill every time I, I showed up, that was like really satisfying because I put the most effort into that one race out of all of them. And to have like, you know, your best success from the ones you worked the hardest for, I'd say is the most satisfying. So that's, uh, had some close calls. I lost the race by three hundreds there. It was a tight one, you know, it's not much, not much time, but you know, one win, the super G one win, the downhill and then, um, five other times on the podium, which is, is pretty cool. Does the, do the wins feel different than the podiums? Are they in a different category? Yeah, I mean, no one really remembers, like, you don't remember too much of, like, the second or thirds, but the, those wins are, you know, I mean, especially there, just, like, the feeling you get, like, just with the crowd, the energy, and just knowing it's the biggest race in the, on the World Cup circuit, that that's the, that win is something special, for sure. And there's really cool, there's cool things, like, there, if you win a downhill, only downhill winner does this. Like, there's a trap door that opens up in the finish area, after they've done the unofficial awards and the winner gets like exit the whole like finish arena through this trap door, this tunnel that's underground. And in the year I was third there, I saw Herman Meyer, like this thing open up out of nowhere. I'd never seen this before. Right. And I, and I'm like, what is that? And he just like disappears, walks down and gone. And so look, when we're in St. Anton for the world champs, I was going to ask him what was down there. And but I was like, you know what? I don't ever want to know unless I find out myself. And that was kind of like another incentive, you know, to, to go out there and, um, you know, win that race just because there's like just special different things, you know, like that happened there. You get your own gondola with your name on it. And just, there's a lot of cool stuff that happens surrounding that race. What does that mean? I mean, it seems like you're so connected to the history of the, of the mountain. And I mean, like the spiritual connection to the mountain, what does it mean to have your name on a gondola on that mountain? Well, it's huge. I mean, you're amongst the best racers in the world. I mean, looking at like all the other like gondolas that come down and just, you know, you're familiar with all the names and it's legendary status. You know, you're like, you're inscribed in in a piece of time, you know, or, or history. And it's your amongst that club, which is, which is really cool to be, you know, amongst that club. Like uh, Lobberhorn, like last year is a 90th anniversary of Vangen's race, the Lobberhorn, and they brought, they invited all former winners back. And I went back there with Kyle Rasmussen, and there's all these other guys, like Peter Mueller, guys are way ahead of me. But just to meet these guys and and be around them and and be back in that that venue was really special and they treat us really nice like set us up like set my whole family up you know the whole week we're there and and uh, i was back on the race hill doing inspection with 
with uh, my kids and another, some other friends and like uh, Hans Knaus up in the start. Just like, it's just, it, it feels good to have that sort of status that you belong to this like group of like outstanding skiers you know, in the sport. And, and so that was really special there in Bangan and, and uh, always is going back to Kitzbühel. That's really the inner circle, right? I mean, you were, you were in the inner circle there, both at the Laberhorn and Vangen and, and uh, at... Uh... Yeah, those classics. I mean, winning a race is cool. Like winning a World Cup race, that, that was, I mean, the number one goal, I didn't care which one it was. I mean, at that point, I just wanted to be the best in the world. And then it's like, okay, I want to win that one, you know? And this one, this one. And um, I just threw it out there to RCS, like, man, welcome to the club now. You know, it's cool to be a World Cup, you know, winner. And, uh, you know you've earned it. You did it. Keep doing it. <laughs> it just, it never gets old, but it's, 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 you know, to be amongst <clears throat> that, like the skiing community in that way. And, um, it just feels good. You know, like you, I mean, you work hard for it. And, and uh, I just, I wish that one day, like there's going to be another American really soon to feel that same thing in Kitsville. Right. And possibly even win an overall, Right, a downhill yeah. overall crown. Yeah, that was a tough one. Like I, that was probably my number one goal because it was like consistency, you know, and not just fast one day, but through the year. And I uh, had some, you know, some close like season ending, you know, positions there, but never, never took the title. And so that was like one of the things that like, it was that a downhill title and the Olympic win were the two things missed my career, but I can still call it a great career. And, and you got like, uh, the way I look at it is like, I gave it everything I had. I didn't, it wasn't for lack of trying. So that's, that's how I could walk away and be satisfied. And I actually walked away from the sport pretty early, you know, um, as opposed to a lot of other ski racers at 32. And but I was at the top of my game and, and um, I just felt like I wanted to walk away knowing what it was like going fast. And, and being really competitive and not like just hanging on too long, but there's just other factors, you know, it's just life in general, family and just doing something different. That was kind of the other draw for me. Sometimes you have to quit what you're doing in order to do whatever's next as well. Yeah. I just feel like, I mean, I see some guys are just like taking on a little too long and, and they uh, you know, get hurt or like, they're not like having one race in like three years or something like that. It's like, I've walked away from the sport like winning, which was pretty awesome feeling. And you look at a guy like Marcel Hersher, and that's like the the next level up, you know, like yeah. he, he's overall World Cup champ. I mean, winning all these races and he walked away from it. And, but I got a lot of respect for him for doing it that way. Like he walks away, like knowing he, he could probably show up anytime. I still, still feel like I could show up. If I put a lot of work in there, I still feel like I show up and, and when I'm probably kidding myself, but <laughs> that's how I left the sport. So it's, it's, uh, I just, there's times like, man, if I, if I went, went wanted again and went for it, I could, I could get it back. But again, I know how much I put into that. It's your last, last feeling you have. Right. And that was my last feeling I had was being one of the best guys on any given day, my last season. Did you plan for your retirement like when you were competing did you think about when you'd retire did you think about how you'd retire uh not until my last season and i called it 
actually, I called it the beginning of the season, Beaver Creek at the press conference. And like, no one ever, you know, says that they're done until like after the season or a month or two afterwards. I mean, it's the last race of the year. Like, this is it. But I, and everybody laughed at me. And I was like, yeah, I'm serious. This is my last season. You'll see me racing. I'm done. But it's going to make me really soak up every moment this year because no one I'm going into this, this race for the last time. I think that was the kind of special thing. I think that was what made my year a little more special and I put more pressure on myself to make sure I stayed on track and did the right thing. Like every day, through the whole season. It's a long year. What made you say that you wanted to retire? Like, cause you at the beginning of the year, I mean, I, had, did you know how it would all play out? Cause I mean, it's, it's easy enough now to look back on it, right. And go, okay, that made me prepared for everything that made me relish everything. But did you know when you were saying that, that that's what you were, that you were effectively putting this challenge in front of yourself? Oh yeah, exactly what I was doing. I was challenging myself to make sure I was on point for every, every race, the whole season. And I'm like, I'm just, I'm done, you know, after this year. It's like crazy opportunity I have right now to make sure I do everything possible every single week to be on my game. And and the one thing that really kind of like solidified it was uh, it was early season. I, I, and that was at Beaver Creek. I won that that downhill that year. I got second in the suit in the GS in Beaver Creek. And then we go to uh, end it up in training really you know fast and it was a race i was never on the podium at and then race day we get snow we get wind they bring it the downhill start to the super g start we go around the camels i'm like i put so much effort into having the ultimate test with like the gnarly fast conditions and top to bottom race and it's taken away from me I'm like right there i remember telling bill Merol, i was like this is one of the reasons why i'm retiring right here all this work into it and i'll get the ultimate test this is a hard thing just you know i lost having a great opportunity um just due to weather things change so much and and it was just an point in my career where you know that was a little disappointing and then uh but i had a fantastic last season winning beaver creek bormio vangan third in kitspiel uh had had a you know crappy experience in the olympics but I woke up finals. I got second in my last race. And I was like, hell, that was a, you know, that was a good year start to finish. Besides having like a little, you know, trouble on the biggest race of my life, you know, the Olympics, but that's the way it goes. So it was, I felt, I felt like uh, completely fine with my decision. And I never like once like looked back, like, uh, maybe maybe I'm not gonna retire this year. I'm gonna go another year, but I was done. So, and to me, it was helpful for me to jump into something else like ski cross, and it was kind of fun. You know, I, I started getting to filming in up in AK in Alaska. That was a, that's the proving grounds. That's the big stuff, big boy stuff up there. And also ski cross, and there's a pro tour going on. I was like, this is fun. This is you know still it's competitive. Um, there's not as much pressure, but I'm going out there. I'm like training for it. I'm still like testing skis for it. I'm like, you know, it's something else I want to do. And I was like able to do that when I was healthy and strong and, and took my licks the first year and then figured out the second year and had some like, you know, 
some fun uh some fun races in, in the ski cross world is some of that from zach you were saying that that zach moved from the world cup onto onto the skier cross did you start hearing that from him and saying okay that sounds like an interesting way for me to go as well Oh yeah, I was following it and uh, checking it out. It's, it's like, I mean, what I love is like riding dirt bikes, and it was like moto on skis in a way. And uh, yeah, I, I remember like Sean Palmer, snowboarder, right? You know, like really, you know, well-rounded all-around athlete. But Palmer comes in and beats all these guys on on skis. Like, would you let you know this like snowboarder do to you? You know, this waxed you on on skis, like. Like, man, he's so good at the start and rhythm sections and he knows how to glide and all this. I'm like, well, you just got, you know, beat by a snowboarder. How's that feel, dude? But uh, it was definitely, you know, I was staying in touch and Casey Puckett was doing it with my other teammates. And so it was fun. Like I was able to jump into, you know, some of these, like this pro tour and, and X Games with, with uh, some of my old teammates I was ski racing with over years and before that. And, so it's still like uh And you won the X Games, right? Yeah, yep. 2008, is that when you won the X Games? Yeah. So my first year in, in ski cross, 2007, after after racing, when I uh, made a transition from ski racing in 06. And I was fast, um, you know, really competitive until finals when the guys were really good and just had better starts than me. And I was getting, always getting pinched out or like, blocked and I, I crashed in every race every final you know the first year I crashed and I was like okay I gotta figure this out I gotta figure out how to be competitive and, and get out of the starting gate you know so it's technique and and work on some like you know strength you know like you know training and then I started being competitive you know I could be like kind of in the mix a little bit but I it was fun like going head to head and and you know not only studying it the course top to bottom, you know, if the way you're going to do it, but you have to have like plan B, plan C, and know your competitors, who's fast in the turns, who's good, you know, starts, where you're going to kind of pick a start, um, who you can draft off, maybe like slingshot, you know, because you do a better turn. But it, there's all kinds of things to think about. And I think that's what really I had a blast with, you know, it was a new challenge. And that kept my mind away from what I was really missing inside of the racing. I didn't look at any ski racing like for two years because I just, I, I didn't want to be, I just felt like I was, it, it, it was hurting a little bit not to be there. And, you know, like, oh, I, should, I could be a Beaver Creek right now and, you know, put down another, you know, fast run a day. But I didn't want to think about that. I was just like trying to involve myself in something else. So that was an easier transition for me to have something to do, you know, and, and, and just not, not be sulking too much, you know, from what I was missing out on the World Cup tour. You won X Games in 2008. You went to Vancouver, right, in 2010 as, uh, as a skier cross skier. So yeah. on the freestyle team. Uh, was, was it as fulfilling? Was that part of your career? Because you basically did it for four years. Is that right? Or did you do it a little bit longer after Vancouver? No, I was, I was done after Vancouver with that, with ski cross. It was... It was something that, like, uh, in 2008, after I won X Games, the next year, like, oh, ski cross is going to the Olympics. And I was kind of laughing at it. And, uh, you know, like, are you going to go back? Are you going to go for it? I'm like, no. Like, I can do that. And then it started, like, I started thinking about, like, how cool would it be to be involved in a, 
new sport debuting in the you know Winter Olympics, and plus it's, it's really fun. I just didn't like the fist tracks, like our pro tour tracks, 48, uh, 48 straight, and the, the Jeep Tour and X Games were like really awesome, like fun, big tracks, speed, lots of big terrain, big jumps, and, and the fist races were like just tight turns and if you didn't have a good start, you're just pretty much blocked the whole time. You can't like, it's frustrating. You know, there weren't great like uh, tracks. And then like, you know, I was kind of getting a little more interested in it after some time. And then Casey was all in and like, oh man, we should just do a push, let's do it. And I ended up like uh, at the St. Johan, which is right next to Kitzbühel in the ski cross, I got second at this night race and it was a pretty rowdy, rowdy final. I mean, I was in fourth and I ended up like banging into some guys back of skis had to actually grab him because I like just just railed right up in a turn and slammed to him, grabbed him, hold him, push him ahead of me, step up to the side, got by him, made another good move on the inside of this other guy. And then like I was by the time like the last two turns, I was on the guy in the lead and like was going right for the finish line right next to him. And that was a really exciting run. Like when you start from the back of the pack and you can like own the other guys out there and just work your way through the pack. It's, it's, you know, it's exciting run. And so that was like, Oh man, like I'm just kind of reinfused, you know, with this like energy and, and uh, stoked to try and like take in the Olympics. And then, and then I went to Lake Placid, got a fourth there in the final. Um, it wasn't a great race, but you know, got in the final there and solidified my spot. And then, X Games are like, okay, we're going to have one last fun hurrah, big race, and then go to the Olympics. And I ended up crashing there and dislocating my hip. So I had a tough, tough uh, road in three weeks, you know, to try and get back on my skis and, and compete in the Olympics. And I actually did, but I just didn't have, like, the, the strength. I was, like, laid up for two weeks. I had, like, a week to try and, like, slowly build back up. And then I just smoked myself in the, uh, the Olympics and training because I was – having fun on the track, but I want like more time and to get the speed. And if I raced, I was just, it was in a tank, you know, I just didn't have much energy left. Yeah. I just overdid it with like being two weeks of coming back from an injury and, and then just back on skis. But that was, so that was kind of a, a rough go, but, um, you know, it was, it was awesome being part of that. And I still think that like, that's one of the, most fun things you can do on ski is that ski cross. Well, it's the hustling you're talking about, right? I mean, you're talking about your greatest races on the World Cup or when you had to hustle the most. And if you're going to have to hustle, you really have to hustle in skier cross. Oh, yeah. And they get the point, too, where, you know, you just got to beat the next guy. And it's not like down to the hundredth, you know, like a perfect run. But, but there's a lot of strategy. And going back to like knowing what your competitor is going to do and how to kind of like what you got to do if, if you're behind or, you're, or if you're in front, you just stick with your game plan, you know, go as fast as you can. But sometimes there's sections where it's better to be second or third and have like draft and have a slingshot effect. So it, it was cool. I had a blast doing it. And then, um, you know, it's just this sport is delivered, delivered so much for me as far as just almost the way I reinvented myself or just do new things. And, and, uh, it's, it's keeping it really fresh. I'm just, I mean, I'm skiing five days a week, right. And I'm not skiing all day. I was, you know, a lot of these, you know, like 
ski days, most of them are just, you know, half days, but it's just, I still like get up really like loving and wanting to go skiing. Are you still training the way that you, the way that you trained before? I mean, I remember you talking about one training session where you, you'd run up the mountain, like run up the trail with like a backpack full of rocks or something like that. Am I getting this right? Yeah. Yeah. I haven't done that in a long time. That was only when I was ski racing. That was You're not the, still doing it. That was like the typical mental limit, you know, like, or yeah, 25, 30 pound weight vest and sprint as fast as you could up this, up on Donner Summit, there's all this awesome granite rock. So it's like, you can go up really steep stuff and just get good grip with your feet and, and just hammering, you know, and it was like Rocky style training. I love being outside, throwing rocks around and just being athletic and, but it was one of those mental training uh, sessions where it was a full max physical and you get the, like I'd stack rocks. I said, it's, it's a time. It goes hard as I could, like a minute and a half, have these rocks stacked right there and have to make that two more times all out as hard as I could go. And that third time I'm on, I'm on the ground puking, you know, I just like my body has so much lactic acid in it. It's just revolt, you know, just, it, it can't handle it. And, it was just, uh, you know, I, my body just couldn't handle, you know, keeping food down or water. And, but it was, it was really painful. It was not a great feel at the time, but like just afterwards, like knowing that I could, like, there's no ski race or I was going to be able, or, or I was able to push myself that hard. I want to train harder than I ever had a race. So that got to me like, you have to, at the bottom, say at Bormio, like where your, your legs are screaming and you're completely tapped out with energy that like, you know, you have a little more inside of you to keep pushing and not give up that like aerodynamics or, you know, clean skiing or tight lines. And, and it was just, uh, that was a, probably the, the coolest workout I did, you know, as far as getting ready for knowing that you were ready. Yeah. What was the anticipation like of that day? Like you knew that you were going to do that. Did you, did you circle that day and say, okay, I need to know by September 9th that I'm ready. Did you, did you have a plan like with your training? Did you lead up to that day or how did it, how did the, how did the build and what was the mentality of like, okay, this is the day. Am I excited or am I like, Oh man, I'm going to kill myself today. Yeah. I was looking forward to it for sure, but it wasn't that far in advance. It'd probably be like two weeks out. Okay. I mean, we have a good plan of like intensity and some recovery days and building up and, I'm like, this right here would be like maybe one of the last days I was home, you know, before I was hitting the road, probably like with like a three day recovery period before I was on the road, you know, I'd be like, okay. Cause I know it's going to hurt for a couple of days afterwards, but, um, you know, it was just, it was the, the final blow pretty much in a final, like just, just final test to see, you know, to make sure I was ready and, I wanted that, like, you know, that full out, like a full all out session, you know, and, and just to know that I, I could bring it on the, you know, when it count on the race days. And so that was, I had Marco Sullivan join me one time. I did it like every year um, for like five years. He joined me like one year and was, he didn't show up again. I kept calling him like, yeah, again. and you were excited for it though. You're like, this is the day that I'm going to prove it, that I'm ready. Oh yeah. I look to it. Yeah. But I, I, yeah, I do not, I train, I noticed like when I first started in ski cross at the world cup, I was like, 
man, I put a lot into this, like, you know, physical preparation. Like, I'm just going to ski myself into shape. And I had two years of that and it just wasn't quite there, especially early season. You know, I just, you have to like build the strength up and the endurance off the hill. And I started doing that last couple of years, you know, with these like routines I call mountain warrior. And it's more like just less weight, but just a lot of single leg strength, athletic exercises. And I really feel a difference. Like I'll do like, you know, uh, five, six weeks of that, of two sessions a week. And I make gains. I feel really good. I come in the season, just, just ready to go. And so I do train still, you know, these days and, but more it's like uh, in the ski season, it's just skiing a lot and then just doing like recovery sessions. It's nice once in a while, I just get a wild hair, just go for, you know, like a run or, uh, you know, do a, do like a intense, like just lift session, just to kind of like fire the body up a little bit, but I don't have a good routine these days. It's just, it's pretty random. What were you thinking? Cause you talked about how much, the Hanenkamp meant to you, the going to Kitzbühel and racing in Kitzbühel and your communion with the mountain and, and the spiritual kind of thing. And what were you thinking when you decided that you wanted to forerun Kitzbühel and how long after you had retired was that? Oh, that was, that was a moment that was, it came to a shock. Like we, uh, I, I didn't go back to Kitzbühel for seven years. I didn't want to be there because I didn't want to feel like I was missing out. I mean, that was like the, the number one race for me every year. And I, I didn't want to be there and just watch others have the fun, right? Where I couldn't. And Powder Magazine like reached out to me like, hey, we want to do a feature story on, uh, on the Hanukkah. We want you to show us around. And I was like, I'm not going back. And they kind of like worked me for, you know, every other day for like two weeks. And finally kind of gave in like, all right, you guys going to do a good job on this, do a good spread. Like, I'd love to be part of it. And um, they're like, we want to be there with you and just see the ins and outs and get all the, you know, the, see, the, see the important stuff that, you know, a racer is involved with. And so I call up a good buddy of mine. It's the chief of race there, Axel Naglish, that lives in Kitsfield. I was like, hey, you know, can I get access for this group? Guys with powder, this is their plan. I'm going to be showing around. And he's like, no problem. Like, do you want to come back and forerun? And I was like, what? I don't mean, I mean, that wasn't even like a, a personal desire at all. You know, I didn't think about that. And once he planted that seed though, I just started like, I was like, no way, you know, for real, I haven't been on downhill skis in 10 or seven years. And so he's like, yeah, I mean, you could do it if you want. And I just like, was thinking how cool would that actually be to go back there after this amount of time away and actually jump back in the gate and ski it. It was scary, you know, thought, but uh, I was like, I'm in. So I got on downhill skis, like at Sugar Bowl and just started doing some hot laps and just trying to get people. I was like, man, these things are way heavier and longer than I've been skiing on for a while. And, and just, I mean, I ski some GS, but you know, every year a little bit, but nothing like, like that. And I showed up there and I brought my boots from 2006 my old race boots and I got some new skis from my service man that was, that was, uh, working with, uh, with another Austrian athlete at the time. So I had good equipment, but it was like, I was all over the place. Chris, the first run, I was just so out of it. 
coming to stuff that I just did not want to be coming into like that fast and just not having like that, that desire to like really go for it. it was, I came in on the last train run, which I didn't have like, and each train run gets harder and harder. The first day it's smooth. It's not that bad. And then as more people go down the hill, run it, slip it, it gets icier, bumpier, you know, it gets tough. I showed up on a tough day and I was like just getting slapped around everywhere and just way off my game. I'm making the finish line. I'm like, Jesus, like, what was I doing? And it, but it pissed me off. Like I was like, okay, I'm going, I'm, I'm, I'm going to uh, four on tomorrow on race day. I'm going to be bringing it a little more. And so I was able to step up quite a, quite a big level. And um, that was actually a fun run to be able to uh, go down. You're fully stripped day. everything. I mean, your race skis, you're stripped, you're in a suit, you're everything, right? Yeah. Like back into kind of like hanging with the other athletes, you know, and just like inspecting, getting like tips from the coaches from our U.S. team, you know, and like watching some vid. But I also like I was out at night not preparing myself like I should have been as a ski racer, you know, because I was, I was on this Franz Weber tour with all these other clients. And, you know, like night before race day, I was up to like 2.30 in the morning. And I was like, I got to get to bed. I'm just, I'm just, I'm going up early for jury inspection, get to, to get uh, two inspections. So I wanted just a little more time on the hill. So I go up early, you know, in the dark and make a slip down, check it out and go back around when the athletes are going to get another one. And I was so gripped, like the palms are sweating and, you know, it's just, it was not a fun place to be. And everybody else is like, man, we retired like all these other ski racers. Cause I mean, all the Austrian guys, former racers that, been around for years like they always come back to watch supporting their their teammates you know and and um just kissville ski club austrian federation wants them there you know but uh they're like man we, we retired so we didn't have to race this thing anymore and you come back out of retirement and racing this are you kidding me i'm like i'm not racing man i'm like already trying to make it ever harder ever harder said that you know the guy like i mean he won the last year he, he raced there, right? He was like, that's the last thing I want to do is go back on that track. But it was, um, to me, it kind of felt pretty good. And, you know, there's all these other guys like, what are you doing? Like, how much training do you have? Like, this is dangerous. You know, this, this is, you got to take it seriously. I, I know I got to take it seriously. I might be over my head a little bit right now, but I've committed to it. And Jono, my old, uh, my, my coach on the U.S. team, he was coaching for the Canadians at that time. And he sees me at the bottom and we're talking about the, uh, the, the, the run coming up and he just gives me, he put, raises his hands, like high five. He's like, can't wait to see you just crush this thing. And that kind of gave me a little extra, little extra help. I need, I needed that, you know, need some, some external confidence from somebody just to like, you know, tell me I could do it in a way, but it was, it was a tough battle. And, I didn't really enjoy it too much because I was used to going full throttle and I was coming to sections where I'm standing up using that air brake, you know, or like sliding on top of the turn before I go into it. I wasn't trying to make a lot of speed, you know, in certain sections, I was trying to hold on and just make it to the finish line. <laughs> but uh, it was pretty cool. Like to go back and, and, and have those feelings again. So, and I ended up doing it about two times. I did it. Uh, I filmed it another time um, for like this Strike 360, this like 
stick on the end of my pole with like five GoPros on it, ski the whole track with that thing out in front of me. That was kind of a nasty challenge, but like, that was, that was kind of like, you know, I just want to be part of it. You know, it was just, once I went back that first time, I was like, I need to keep coming back because this is cool. You know, this is fun to like, not be like all about ski racing here. I could see other things. Like I was able to kind of like go back and forth between like the athlete and the fan back and forth and, and really take part in everything else that Kit still has to offer. And there's, it's just, it's nonstop like stuff going on events and parties and big stuff like that's happening. A lot of people coming in and it's, it's, there's a lot of excitement, a lot of good energy there. You were like the VIP of VIPs though. I mean, like you're, you're on the athlete side being a VIP and then you're like the VIP in the village as well. Like this is the way, this is the way to see it other than it means that you're actually running the Hanenkamp downhill course, which, which sounds like it was yeah. great for you, but, but scares me even just to think about it. What was the respect like that you got from the Eberharders? And I think like Koosh was there too, wasn't he? And saying, there's no way I want to do that. Yeah, they're just laughing, shaking their head. Like, can't believe you're freaking crazy enough to do this, you know? I'm like, join me, hop in the star, let's do it. Let's have a little reunion, you know? And maybe have like a little, like inside bet, you know, amongst the five of us. Like, it'd be pretty cool. I was working those guys pretty hard, actually. Like, Walkoffer and Koosh and Everharder to, dude, line up, boys. Let's do this together. You know, there was like not a slight chance of like, you know, any like, you know, second thoughts, like, well, maybe we might do this. Like, there's no way. They're like, we're out. But that was, um, it was just kind of fun to, to relive it in a way. And yeah. It's one of the coolest things that, that I can think of. I mean, it's like, I mean, like you don't have, you know, you don't have like a baseball player who retires who comes and, and goes and hits at the World Series, you know, beforehand. Or, you know, like a football player who, who gets to play a couple, of, a, couple of, uh, a couple of downs or whatever, you know? I mean, it's like, it doesn't happen, but you went to effectively like the Super Bowl of skiing and you weren't in the race, but you were pretty much in the race. Yeah, I mean, there's, there's, there's some spots where you get the, you got to push, you know, you can't really hold back in certain spots. Yeah. But uh, I was like, I know where I can ease off and like, you know, save a little strength. But when you get down to the bottom, it's, it's like, you got to like turn the screws into it and, and go. And so that was it, was, it was, it was a really amazing feeling to do something like that. And just, uh, it's another kind of fun challenge because like man like now i gotta be all on it you know on my game and, and really focused again and really have something like that for a while and you know these days it's it's uh i'm not really faced with, with those like super high consequence moments i don't know i've seen some of your big mountain skiing stuff well i mean <laughs> yeah but it's like i always wanted to ski a pretty like a really challenging like big mountain line say in alaska like i would ski race i never could though because there's too much like going on you gotta like you can't go full throttle you know on those things you gotta be really mindful of like the conditions and slough and like checking speed here and there and, or uh 
it's just not one of those like all out runs, you know, and you're not sure either. You're not sure hundred percent what you're getting yourself into where ski racing, you go down the track, you inspect every inch of the hill um, for like this big mountain skiing. Like you look from the helicopter at the bottom and, and you kind of need to like be able to adjust the fly a little bit, <clears throat> but it's, um, I still like to have, I mean, there's, it, it takes a lot less to get myself, um, you know, with those butterflies and some of the anxiety. And I still like to kind of find little things that, that push myself a couple of times a week and have, you know, there's a little doubt, like, but you got to take a chance and try and go for it and pull it off. And I'm still kind of looking for that stuff. And I get more of it actually riding moto. Like I start racing off-road races and, and there's some moments where I don't have the technical skill that a lot of these guys have that ride it year round. I've been riding their whole life, but I, I, I'm in the open class. I'm racing young 20 year olds and just trying to go, you know, head to head with them. And I'm willing to still hang it out. Like I might be a little sloppy, make some mistakes, but I'm, I'm trying to like tap that throttle back, you know, that downhill mentality. What's I've got two more things that I want to ask you about. I realize we've gone for a long time, but you've got this is just such great stuff. How about the how about the bonsai, the Rouse bonsai? The, what how did you how did you come up with it? And what's the what's the objective? What what do you do? Yeah, well, the Rouse bonsai tour was it actually I was inspired by this. Uh, it was called the Red Bull White Rush, and it was uh, in Kribenstein, Austria. It was a mass start of like. 10 guys top to bottom of this like really long like uh racetrack of this you know all off piece down this this big mountain i was like i want to do that when i'm retired from ski race i'm doing that and and they stopped doing it the year i retired and so i was like there's something we gotta do it's 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 all natural terrain it's a set course but it's down a mountain that's like uh you have to have skills uh with skiing turns racing that kind of like let uh, let it go mentality is like kind of like a throwback to old school racing like you said like the franz klammer days whereas not as manicured as it is these days for ski racing whereas like rough a little out of control but like to me going head to head having that ski cross element with just like big mountain skiing and some racing mix i thought that was like one of the ultimate styles and types of racing so i just like going fast whatever i'm doing and and uh if you could have like a natural natural hill and incorporate all that stuff it was it was really like fun like it was just a big thrill and a challenge so that that was awesome i had that going for six years and we had stops like all in tahoe but it was it was a lot to take on and i was doing all the logistics, all the sponsorship, um, run the whole show, hiring the team. You know, it was, it was a lot of like people involved to pull it off. Names, I was trying to pull in like Ligeti and Bodie and all these guys. Like, so I know like, hey, we got some, we got some skiers that can give any one of us a top like ski racers a run for our money for sure. What were the weirdest things you did this right and and it's kind of it's, it's get to the bottom as 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 best you can you know as fast as you can but 
were there were there some times that people just took a totally alternate not necessarily route because you had to stay on the on the trail but a way of doing it yeah i mean actually there's uh i would open up sections that are like really wide with a lot of different options so i would try and work as much natural terrain in as i could but there's uh, alpine meadows there's like this the face it's called it's all moguls it's steep pretty long and i just put a gate at the top and a gate at the bottom <laughs> like you could do whatever you want to get down there you could straight line you could zigzag whatever and uh actually bodie's uh, younger brother shalom miller he was on a snowboard he came flying into it i was watching him and he basically like just went heel edge and i was like whoa 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 over all these bumps instead of like trying to like, get through on a snowboard like the turns and he was basically doing like a super high speed slip and passed a guy doing that, you know, and, but he was more control. It was like, how can you be in the most control but go as fast as you can in some like pretty gnarly, you know, terrain. And um, I made people like made these competitors think about different lines too. Like I would with downhill, like you could take this like high line on the ridge or drop down this gully and then it all matches out at the end, but like what's faster. And so there's a lot of like kind of strategy. And, and so there's a lot of, there was a lot of different lines and, and some of our top ski racers, some of the guys were like full, full on like straight linings, like full bombs on these like big gnarly runs, these big pitches with moguls. And uh, sometimes they pulled off, sometimes they wouldn't, but uh, that was the exciting part. And to me, that was like the ultimate, you know, and I would set the time, like do like a, a qualifying run and then just run the whole show and just be doing some follow cam actually behind some of the heats. You know, I didn't want to get in the mix and but I want to have some different perspectives some good footage for, for the event. And then the only time I raced was at Sugar Bowl, my home mountain at a super final because so it was like the winners from each stop and you know, four stops, we put a fifth gate in and I was like the fifth man and uh, had to race all these guys top to bottom for a super final. And I put up 10 grand cash. Like if you, whoever wins gets his money. And so that was some pressure, right? Like I didn't want to lose that money, and I, but it was more about pride. Like I didn't want to. You put up your money. Yeah. I mean, it was a tour's money, but it was still money that I could use for marketing or pay <laughs> my crew or whatever. Right. So I mean, it wasn't like straight in my pocket, but it was, it could have been in my pocket if I lost it, you know, that was kind of like what I was banking on. I hope I could keep this 10 grand and, and uh, infuse it into the next season, you know, try and do something big, bigger and better. But like, yeah, it was, it was, uh, fortunately I didn't lose, lose a super final of all those years and <clears throat> kept the extra money in the bank. But there was one year where I did get hurt right before. I couldn't compete. And so I put the money up for the rest of those guys. And one of the guys won it. So that was pretty cool, you know? And uh, it was just a way to kind of infuse the sport a little more and bring, I wanted to have ski, snowboard, men, women, all together in one event, having a blast. And, and there's so many great relationships that started, you know, like friendships that started with uh, the Bonsai tour. And, and still, I mean, we haven't had it since 2016. I still got like, just the other, like two days ago, a friend of mine sent me a picture of like Ralph's bonsai hat, you know, and it's still kicking and, or people, you know, just mention it here and there, or throw a little photo up from, you know, one of those events. And 
to me, that feels really good. You know, like I did something that people had fun doing and it was, it was intimidating, but you, I saw over like a couple of years, like some skiers and snowboarders, like getting so much better just in their riding, their skills, decision-making just from having, you having been pushed a little bit on the, on the bonsai tour. So I'm we, like, we all miss it, you know, but it was just, uh, just it ran its course. So when we were skiing together last year, we were skiing in Deer Valley and then you were going, you were saying that pretty soon thereafter, and, and this was pretty close to, to when the shutdown happened. I mean, this was like, I don't know, it was probably the sometime in February, I think that we were skiing or maybe even yeah, the beginning like of March. Yeah, and you're planning to go to the pro, to the finals of the pro tour is what you were telling me. So the, so the dual yeah. pro tour, and, and you were saying, I think it was in Taos, and you were saying you were going there. This is, you retired from alpine skiing in 2006, retired from, from ski cross in 2010, and this was then 2020. How do you think you would have done in that pro tour? Uh, I would have gotten smoked, but I, you know, I didn't care. Like, I just wanted to I just wanted to go and just have some fun and see, you know, where I, I mean, who knows, like see what I could have done. Like, and my goal was to, you know, like if I can make the final, it'd be awesome for sure. But, you know, I could be kicked out the first round too. Who knows? But the, the, the slalom part, like I would have like had no chance, but in uh, the GS, like that's where I was like hoping to have something, you know, something, you know, something there that, you know, make it through a little bit, make it through a couple rounds. But that's, uh, you know, that didn't happen and we'll never know. <laughs> so it's now actually like going back to like what you said about Klammer in 76, I'm uh, heading, over to, heading over to Austria mid-February to reenact some of his run. They're doing a documentary on Franz Klammer and I got pulled in to be one of the stunt skiers for it. So I've got to study his style and try and you know, emulate a lot of like, you know, things he did for just certain sections. And that's going to be pretty exciting. We got like seven days of filming that we have planned to, to be on that Eagles, you know, Olympic downhill track. And uh, yeah. hopefully, yeah, hopefully I do the right thing and, and can get some good shots for, for this documentary coming up. But I had to send my pair of boots. I'm like, I just got to have my own pair of like race boots, but you can put them on any of the ski, whatever. I just want to have my own boots. So I sent those over to Austria like a month ago to get like painted up and like all decked out to look retro and, and uh, kind of blend in with, with how he was uh, with the equipment he had, you know, back then. But that's kind of the next, next exciting thing coming up. As you were saying that, that's what I was thinking was like, what's, what, what are you going to ski on? Are you going to ski? The ski, the ski equipment from 76 is a whole lot different than the ski equipment in 2021. Oh yeah, <laughs> we'll see. I don't know, whatever they pull out, like I'm gonna have to ski on. So that, I'm just, that's the exciting thing. You know, right now, like there's something like every year, like a couple months out from like the season, some something new pops up. I don't know if you saw Race the Face I did with Jeremy Heights a couple of years ago. It was setting a Super G course on this big steep, like, you know, like, Big Mountain Face. Check that out. It's on Red Bull TV. It's called Race the Face. Okay. And it was like, 
it basically blends big mountain skiing with racing. You know, it's something that's like so unique, you know, and I love being part of those like unique projects and, you know, being part of like that Strife movie and that Strife 360 and then Race the Face and, and this Bonsai tour. And, and now like uh, trying to fill in as a stunt guy for Clomer. I mean, well, it's a huge honor. He's, we're, we're friends. He's a great guy. And, and I think it's one of the coolest opportunities to just to be involved with, but, you know, to still be kind of in the game in a way and, and just have, have involvement um, in different sides of the sport, whether it's like skiing up Alaska or going, you know, skiing in Switzerland, some big mountains or putting the race skis back on. It's, it's a lot of fun. And, you know, just trying to try to keep the dream alive. Was that your objective? Did you want to, to stay in the sport in that kind of capacity or did it just kind of happen? It's just been happening. You know, it's like, I mean, I love skiing. And so I've, I've always wanted to, you know, be involved in skiing, but I just, I need more than just going up there and just making laps, you know, like on, on the hill. Like I want to have like little things that motivate, you know, me or to like inspire me to be motivated to like make sure I'm staying on my game and in and, 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 and shape. Like you get sucked into these like days of just making, you know, two, three hours of skiing with your friends. And like, now it's like with COVID, you're not going into the, into the lodge, the bar, like you, you go to back to your truck and you got the, we got this hitch fire grill. It's up the, the back of my hitch, you know, I made glue vine the other day. You just start sipping on, like at lunchtime, you're like eating some sausages, drinking glue vines and beers. Like all of a sudden it gets out of control. Like, man, like this is kind of fun once in a while, but I don't want to do this every day. Right. I mean, it's like, I still want to take it serious and feel good up on the hill and push myself. But it's, uh, it's like, I need to have like something like that world pro ski tour would have been awesome because it's like, okay, now I got to grind a little bit, you know, for like a month and just do some training and get ready for this. So I don't want to show up completely, you know, you'd be a complete joke or, you know, not have like anything competitive, you know, in me. So it, it helps, it helps try, it helps get me to this like, the space where I, I got something to reach for and, and go for a little bit. And, and that's why, you know, just try and like be available for these opportunities that come up. And I think if I'm just still doing this stuff, staying active and staying in good shape, then these things still like these offers keep coming. So that's been pretty cool. You seem unique in the industry in that respect, in that, you're doing a wide variety of different things as you continue to get older, right? I mean, we're, we're, we're not as young as we used to be and, and, and to be able to do all of these things, but also to be able to do them well, the, the racing part, the, the forerunning kids fuel, the, the, you know, the big mountain stuff, the, doing some of the cool stuff. I remember watching one of the movies that you did where you guys had like, uh, had like lights on you or whatever, and you're doing it all all in the dark yeah afterglow that was i mean like i said like so just that just popped up too you know just a really unique thing skiing in alaskan spines with they're all lit up at night and we got a light suit on like like i mean that's i live for that stuff i live for these like unique opportunities and like i i love just being like like i said like certain days is just being like a normal skier out there and and just like doing the opera you know and just hanging out and but I like having these other like special projects that, that like I got to be, you know, tuned up for. 
and and just like I've been lucky to have maybe been called on, you know, by you know, and still be kind of relevant in the industry where someone could be like, oh, we're going to do this. Like, let's see if Darren's interested in this, and like, like heck yeah, like thanks for the opportunity. Let's try and you know pull this off, and you know it's, um, but it's just great to be back on the race skis, be, you know, here and there a couple of days and, and just pass on some knowledge. I've been working a lot with like, you know, some, some youth. I actually get this big, uh, actually I'm hosting a, a U.S. ski team fundraiser coming up on the 19th of January. And I got four, you know, male athletes, four female athletes. And some I've been keeping in touch with like RCS is going to be on there. Bryce Bennett, Jared Goldberg, Sam Morse. And then Breezy Johnson, been working with her, with her a little bit, just staying in touch with her a little bit. And she's been crushing it on the World Cup, you know, it's three-thirds so far, back-to-back -back races. And it's just, it's fun for me to get more involved and, and um, again, you know, and, and pass on maybe some knowledge and, and doing some ski racing tips for posting just on little things, you know, just how to be a little more prepared and, and get the most out of yourself. So it's great for the sport because you have such a wealth of knowledge. And as you said, way back in the beginning that you had to learn a lot of these things the hard way. And if you have to learn them the hard way, you generally learn them better and you really know what you're talking about. So to be able to pass on and, and then obviously, you know, you learned them well enough that you went on and won a whole lot. So if people don't want to listen to you, they're, they're doing themselves a huge disservice. Well, it's like, I have a lot, it's pretty cool because when I do bring some of this stuff up, there's a lot of engagement and uh, I get a lot of appreciation, which feels good. But, you know, I, the two, I tell everything what to do. My two own kids are the ones that blow me off the most. You know, it's like, it's like, you know, what you're talking about or whatever, like, all right, you know, geez, like everybody else thinks I got something valuable, valuable to, to pass on. I go, you guys don't listen, you know? <laughs> But it's at that age, you know, it's fun. Like, we'll see where it goes. But it's just, to me too, like my ultimate, like my kids are racing. I want them to just get that foundation a little bit. And like, I'm ski touring with my son. I'm trying to get my, my daughter out, you know, with us uh, this year too. And and just like, you know, just do different things with them. I, I want to be able to like grow old with, with my kids and doing things I love to do still. And, and there's stuff that's like, I mean, I, I could out ski him right now, but I know it's gonna be, not going to be too much longer, but it's just, it's fun. It's fun to, you know, just have kids like that age or like really like learning like every month or two, like they get like so much better what they're doing. And cool. uh, I'm, just, I'm just trying to hang on, Chris. <laughs> well, you're doing, an, you're, you're doing an amazing job, Darren. I mean, thank you so much. I, I looked at, at you for running the, hot and calm and that that blew my mind i mean i might think about possibly like forerunning in gs or something but I, I can't even i can't even wrap my mind around running a downhill and or you know let alone running the hot and calm so uh but yeah well, i'm done with that chris and <laughs> did it done it but, but you did it I, I mean i did for uh world champs at uh, beaver creek too in 2015 so that was really exciting moment to be back in, in the uh, gate there too. So I've had some awesome opportunities that have popped up. And like I said, if something comes up, I'm going to try and get myself 
you know, in the right like headspace and, and physically ready for something so I can do it. I, I still have that like desire. Yeah. I mean, like Beaver Creek, you have to tuck on that flat for 30 seconds before the race starts effectively, right? And then, I mean, most people, if they're tucking for 30 seconds, even just in their living room, their legs are really starting to smoke. And then the race starts. Yeah, yeah. So for you to do that, that's awesome. Oh, it's just, like you said, I mean, it's what I did, you know, I, I know that that side of it too. And, and um, kind of know where, where I had to like let up a little bit to like save something for a section that was really demanding, you know? But anyways, yeah, it's just uh, still like living to ski, skiing to live, living it, man. You're doing <laughs> it great. You're doing it absolutely great. Like well, you. Thank you so much for joining us for the audience. If you guys have liked this, please, please like us, please subscribe, please come back. We'll have more people like Darren who are just the experts in the experience of being human. This to me, I don't know about you, but I learned a ton just listening to Darren and I want to get out there on the hill right now as a result of this. So Darren, thanks so much for joining us, man. Thanks, Chris. And like last final word, just say, find out what you're made of. Never be afraid of trying to find out what you're made of, you know, and you don't know unless you give it a shot. So yeah, That's it's all, I want to be back behind you watching you like lay some turns over because you make the meanest RX dude. <laughs> so fun to be out there in Deer Valley with you. I, I, I think we're going to like not make it happen this year, unfortunately, but, but uh, always love taking, taking runs with you, man. It's, it's a it mutual, mutual respect kind of thing. That's for sure. I love jumping in behind you and just, turning my mind off and just trying to copy what you do. Uh, skiing gets way better that way. I appreciate you bringing me on. I'm bored with this. This is great.